Hello and welcome. My name is Kevin Featherstone and I'm director of the Hellenic Observatory here in the European Institute at the LSE. Today we're discussing the left in power and our focus is on the left-wing government in Greece between 2015 and 2019. Our guest was at the very heart of that government. Uh, Evclides Akolotis uh, was a minister and then finance minister in the Syriza governments. As such, he oversaw the Greek negotiations with his Eurozone counterparts in very difficult circumstances. Greece had suffered an unprecedented blow in the Euro crisis. It lost over 25% of its GDP. Unemployment soared. About one in four Greeks were jobless, including almost one in three young people. The number of firms going bankrupt reached new heights. When Syriza uh, came to power in January 2015, it did so with a campaign to stop austerity, to stop the monitoring of the Troika, uh, but to stay in the Eurozone. Enough was enough. Its colourful finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis, led the challenge in Europe. Varoufakis was later sidelined by the Syriza government when the talks in the Eurozone seemed to be getting nowhere. In his place came Efklides Zakolotis. As such, Efklides oversaw the transition from opposing any new Greek bailout to negotiating and implementing a third bailout. So what does the experience of Syriza suggest for the left in Europe? What does it tell us about democratic choice within the Eurozone or about European solidarity? Critics blame Syriza for propagating populist illusions, making impossible demands that could not be met within the Eurozone. They see Syriza's version of a historic compromise as a kolotumba, a somersault. We have much to explore uh, here. And Euclides is well used to uh, the UK and has many friends uh, in Britain. He studied PPE in Oxford, where he also obtained his PhD in economics. He taught at the University of Kent before returning to Greece and becoming a professor of economics at the Athens University of Economics and Business, and more recently at the University of Athens. To get us started, Euclides will make uh, some opening comments for about 20 minutes or so. We'll then have a discussion and we'll open up the forum for your questions for those of you uh, watching. For those of you watching this um, Zoom broadcast, then please send us your questions at any time using the Q&A facility at the bottom of your screen. Alternatively, if you're watching us now on Facebook for the live stream, then please send us the questions using the comment uh, function. As the discussion proceeds, we encourage you to share your comments with us on Twitter. And the Twitter hashtag we suggest is hashtag LSE Greece. And we look forward to uh, receiving your comments and your questions indeed at any time. As you send us your questions, can I please ask you to tell us who you are? But please, please keep the, sh the questions uh, short. Uh, it will enable us to uh, get through as many questions as possible. And I promise you that when I'm reading the questions on the screen, 
It's a lot easier if I'm reading two sentences rather than your magnum opus. Uh, so please keep the questions uh, short. Let me uh, point out that the discussion is being recorded and will hopefully be made available as a podcast later. You'll be able to download that podcast from the website of the Hellenic Observatory here at the LSE, or you'll be able to watch it using the Hellenic Observatory's YouTube channel uh, later. So let's begin. And uh, let me extend a very warm welcome back to my friend, Eflidis Zakolotis. Eflidis, uh, you're very welcome. And um, I know that you and I have known each other for many years. We haven't always agreed 100%, uh, but uh, we certainly uh, have much uh, friendship and professional uh, respect. You're very welcome. Uh, we look forward to your uh, comments. Over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Kevin, uh, for the invitation to have a talk and discuss the issues of the, the left in, in power. Uh, it's a shame we can't do it uh, live and to be able to see old friends and discuss it, uh, but, but it is what it is. And hopefully things will be improve for both uh, our countries over the next uh, few, few months. Um, I, I should begin with a, a health warning. Um, I've only just had my first jab, the AstraZeneca um, uh, vaccine, uh, an hour ago, and I don't know about side effects, but I remind you, Kevin, of your promise that if I start complimenting the new democracy government for doing a wonderful job during this pandemic, you'll bring the proceedings to, to a swift um, uh, close, um, that it won't be really me speaking. So let me just share the, the slides that I've prepared. Um, this is obviously the title, Left in Power, uh, and let's go to the, to, okay, are we okay now? I think so. So that is the opening slide, the title, and let's um, begin. So I, I tried to divide it in the time available between the first term, which lasted from the, our um, win in the elections in January 2015, till the, basically the September 2015 um, election. Uh, the first term, I wasn't finance minister. I was a minister at the, uh, the foreign office responsible for um, international economic affairs. And as Kevin said in his own um, introduction, things were very, very dire when we uh, took over. He mentioned all the figures about uh, the loss of 24% of GDP. I should say as a footnote, that is the greatest loss of any economy uh, in, since records began in peacetime. And the unemployment was 25%. We had a humanitarian crisis, which extended um, not just to the people we usually call socially excluded, but to many working class and middle class uh, people. Um, we had a crisis of political representation as the two major parties that have dominated Greek politics since 1974, the restoration of democracy, had been seen not only to have bankrupted Greece in 2009, but also had implemented two structural adjustment programs with the economic effects. I, I should add to what Kevin said, that we also had the rise of the Golden Dawn, which became the third party uh, in 2012. And that was a, a very serious challenge of what could go very seriously wrong if we didn't manage to do something. And we also had a, a, a great 
uh, in many ways, an exhausted population that had suffered economically and socially. They had actually been quite active politically. They had tried demonstrations, general strikes, one-issue activism about um, uh, expensive travel or about uh, housings being uh, reacquisitioned. We have the phenomenon of the squares. Maybe we can discuss that later in the in, in the talk. Um, and so really Syriza was seen by very many people as the, 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 the last chance. Now, the, the internal situation was not only the, the economic and, and social background um, that uh, I've just described, but the, the legacy of the, the, the previous government. Um, the, the, the strategy of the New Democracy PASOK government by the summer of 2014 was, in my view, utterly cynical. By the summer of 2014, they realized that in the election of November 2015, that was the last point when election could be had, um, there was no way they would win it. So their strategy was to um, what they called a left interval, that they would set a set of minds to make the next government, the, the government of the left that was obviously coming, as difficult as, as possible. So they didn't finish the review of the, of the structural adjustment program. It was the fifth review. All structural adjustment programs have review that the institutions come and check that you've done this and that and the, the other. They didn't do that. So we had empty state coffers. We had an unsustainable debt and faced for 2015 a huge repayment schedule. And we only had, after winning at the end of January 2015, the election, um, one month uh, before the program expired. Um, to show the degree of cynicism, they were offered the previous government a five-month extension, but only uh, opted for a two-month extension, exactly to make it um, uh, difficult. So by the summer of 2015, they essentially did not negotiate seriously with institutions, and what their strategy was to make things as difficult for the oncoming um, uh, government. I think it's one of the most cynical uh, pages in, in, the, in the history of Greek politics since the, 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 the revolution, which was actually 200 years ago. We're celebrating the 200 years of the Greek War of, of Independence. Now, the external situation, so the last point about the, the internal situation was that we had a very hostile opposition. And this may be a, a, an interest to, to people who follow the LSE, a very hostile press, which actually led the opposition to the Syriza government throughout the, the, the period. I, I write here the, the Latin Americanization of the press, because in a number of other left-wing strategies, to put it in a context, um, whether in, 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 uh, in Venezuela or, or, or Bolivia and other Latin American countries, a very hostile populist press has led the opposition to progressive um, uh, politics. The external situation was, was not much better in 2015. Um, one of the things we could also discuss, Kevin, was how different the world was in 2009 to 2015 at the European level from what it is now. Um, austerity was the only game, uh, game in town. Um, you will remember that the ECB's response in 2009 and 10 to the financial crisis was actually to increase interest rates. 
um, there really was no dent in the neoliberal uh, hegemony about uh, economics. Um, there was no recognition of what I call the Keynes problem of symmetric adjustment. This is the Keynes argument in the early post-war period that if only countries with a deficit on the current account adjust by reducing wages and having a fiscal adjustment and the countries that have a surplus and have a fiscal space do not expand, then the overall system is, is very contractionary. Um, and what we faced from the first two um, structural adjustment programs, but then in our own structural adjustment program that will come, was that there was no help from Northern Europe expanding their economies um, uh, to be able to help the countries that were in a crisis and were in a structural adjustment program, Spain, uh, Portugal, Ireland and Cyprus, to be able to gain competitiveness uh, with the help of an expansion policy of the North. Uh, and the balance of forces in the Eurogroup um, was, uh, how shall I put this in, in English terms, um, not very favourable. Um, again, there's been a big change here. We now have a progressive um, governments in, in Spain and in Portugal. Um, in, in When I was finance minister, both Spain and Portugal in the early period had right-wing governments who were aligned with the, the, the northern uh, the governments. So the Eurogroup um, really was Wolfgang Schäuble's um, court. Uh, he had around him not just Holland and the Baltic states, but even Spain and Portugal um, were, um, were completely uh, with, uh, aligned with this fiscal response. And the idea that Greece had got itself into its in this problem and Greece itself should get out of its problem. Um, if you want to discuss later the first memorandum, the first um, structural adjustment program and how unfair that was on Greece and how much it helped northern banks rather than Greece, then we can discuss it. And I think the main, the main uh, issue for the northern countries and the, the popular, um, the, 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 the parties of the right within uh, Europe was that Syriza should get a bloody nose. Um, we, the, the system of the Eurozone and the, the system of neoliberalism and the emphasis on neoliberal structural reforms had benefited the North, had benefited, had benefited in my view, elites both in the North and the South. And uh, if, if, um, if uh, Syriza succeeded, uh, that would open appetites of Podemos in Spain or Bloco in, uh, in Portugal. So Greece must make... Um, an example, so in Voltaire's term, les autres, to encourage the others. So we, you can think of us as a Lord Bing, admiral, an admiral Bing that had to be made an example. And then, of course, the, the external situation was also um, uh, dominated by the institutions that responded to who, who were accountable to the Eurogroup to create a framework which was very pro-austerity, very uh, neoliberal uh, reforms. So I'm not going to say much more about the first term because I think that, that this was, uh, um, uh, uh, what happened was that um, the negotiations did not go well, um, the, we led to a crisis uh, where we could not accept the last offer of the institutions, which in my view didn't take into account 
any of the preceding negotiations. We rejected that. We went to the referendum uh, after the ref, which the, was in favour of the or against the proposal of the of the Troika and the, the Eurogroup. That was rejected overwhelmingly by the Greek um, population by about 60-40 in the uh, referendum of early July 2015. And after that, um, we negotiated a compromise. Now, as you said uh, in your introduction, Kevin, a lot of people said that that compromise was a kolodumba, that it was a somersault um, to turn the no vote into a yes vote in favour of structural adjustment programmes. So the basis of my talk now is to actually discuss whether that criticism is fair and what had could be achieved by a left-wing government and what, in fact, was achieved, pluses and minuses, of course, as anybody um, uh, was uh, uh, would expect. When we made this compromise and then we went to the elections of September 2015, it is to our credit, I think, that we were the only government that actually took a structural adjustment programme to the electorate. This was not the case either in the first structural adjustment programme of PASOK or the second one of PASOK New Democracy. We actually made a compromise and we set it before the people. So when they were voting in the September election 2015, they had this um, compromise in favour or against, but they had it in front of them to be able to decide. And our strategy to make the compromise workable is what I've called, um, and we've discussed this, Kevin, uh, uh, between us, the three basket strategy. So I just want to take people through this three basket um, strategy. So there were three baskets in, in, in our approach. The first one, as you can see on the slide, is a large aspect of the structural adjustment program that was agreed with institutions. Now, you can think of this agreed agenda as the Lula strategy. Our strategy was that we must do certain aspects of the structural adjustment program and get them over with um, so that we could actually leave the structural adjustment program and, and, and that we should be quite harsh and quite uh, determined to get some things done to be able to move that. It's called the Lula strategy because Lula in Brazil, when he first won the election, said he'd give the first year to the IMF and then the rest of the term would be um, uh, uh, for him. Now, in, in the agreed agenda, there were positive things and negative things. They weren't all negative. Um, so there were negative things about the degree of fiscal adjustment, some more pension cuts, not as much as the previous um, two, but still there were some uh, unfavorable aspects. But there were some very positive things about um, dealing with um, non-performing loans or uh, protecting the state from from uh, corruption, uh, dealing with health procurements, the, the, uh, making an investment strategy much more uh, transparent and not uh, liable to clientelistic politics. So that was the first basket. The second basket um, was um, areas that had been agreed with institutions in principle, but there was a lot of devil in, in the detail. So there were grey areas. Um, and again, here, as you would expect, we negotiated very hard in, in the four reviews that we had with the institutions. And as people would expect, there were gains and losses. So that, again, 
some pension cuts I would add to, 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 the, to the losses, um, but some um, uh, were important gains about the, the, the nitty gritty of the reform. For instance, the IMF, and I don't know if you want to discuss this later, because my view is that the, the influence of the IMF was pernicious throughout this um, period. The IMF really was hostile to all kinds of subsidies, um, child subsidies, uh, health subsidies, uh, and so on. They wanted a general um, uh, minimum guaranteed income for the poorest of the poor, and all the money that is for social expenditure should go that um, it should go there. That is a, a typical neoliberal view that uh, you shouldn't have um, subsidies as entitlement in your uh, as citizens, but really they should all be just for the poorest of the poor. And there we managed to both have a housing policy for the first time in Greece and a serious. A, 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 a child uh, poverty program. And the third basket was our, our own program, which was outside things that we could do, which was not within the remit of the structural adjustment program. So I've given some examples here that we, Greece didn't, does not, did not have a primary health care, and I mean, there was great stress on hospitals. Um, we had a rights agenda, sort of for, for prison reform, for, for citizenship being given to second-generation immigrants. We had laws making uh, marriages of gay rights, at least have a civil contract. And of course, this, I'm sure we won't touch on this, some, a foreign policy which is very different, uh, very different from previous governments. And one of the crowning achievements uh, of the Syriza government was reaching finally, after so many years, agreement with our northern, uh, 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 our northern neighbor. Now, of course, from a left-wing perspective, there were many structural adjustments that we would have wanted to do in the economy to change to not go back to the old development uh, model that we we were just so inundated by the second memorandum, the third uh, the memorandums, that third structural adjustment program that we couldn't do. So there is a deficit in, in of, of important structural changes. We made some, but we could have done more, for instance, in the cooperatives or in, in the social um, e economy. So, um, Let's see successes and failures, defeats and, and successes. Uh, the, 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 the bottom line, as, as I write on, as I've written on the, on the overheads, is that um, uh, we implemented a structural adjustment program. And um, a structural adjustment program, uh, even though it was less severe than the previous structural adjustment programs, it, it is a very, uh, very severe burden on any government, let alone any labor, any government that, that has is within the progressive politics um, uh, side of the of the political arena. It's very difficult uh, to do that. Um, the compromise naturally affected our social base. Um, we still had significant support, but it was very difficult. And this is something which needs to be discussed by people who, who want to learn from Syriza government. It, it was very difficult after making the, the, the compromise for social movements, political parties to actually engage. Um, for a start, they were exhausted. As I said before in the previous slide, they tried everything um, to, to change the balance of forces in, 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 in Europe. Um, 
but also there was a sort of a delegatory um, uh, predilection that oh, we've tried everything, now it's the government's um, uh, turn. And one of the lessons of most left-wing politics is that unlike right-wing governments, the left-wing governments, if they succeed, do need an active um, social support to be able to change the, the balance of, of, of forces, to be able to, to deal with both the internal opposition and external opposition that I, that, that I mentioned beforehand. On the other hand, um, if you had told me in, in the beginning of when I took over as finance minister in July 2015, that we would have successfully exited the program, that we would have returned to growth, with that we would have reduced um, unemployment by 10 percentage points, that we would have achieved a debt deal which gave us on the flow side, in other words, how much need financial repayments we have to do every year, a clear runway for 10 or 15 years where after 2019, we have less burdensome financial repayments um, schedules than Portugal, Spain and Italy. If you told me we would be able to create a buffer to be, to, to be able to, to access the markets. This was a 37 billion buffer. This was the first, Greece has had three major uh, bankruptcies in its history and no government ever before had thought that we need to have a buffer for, for, um, for, for, for future contingencies. Uh, of course, we didn't know a pandemic was coming, but you can possibly imagine how dire Greece, the state of Greece would be in. Um, if we if we had not had that uh, buffer, and we had important um, social gains, so we not only the ten percent ten percentage points reduction in unemployment that I mentioned before, but already to to the to a lower level than before the crisis, let alone after the effects of the first and second um, structural adjustment program, we reduced um, poverty. We reduced child poverty very significantly. Um, we increased health expenditure and, uh, um, uh, and also on education. So not a small ach achievement, um, but in the end, um, you could say to me or people could ask me, but you lost the election in July 2019. So obviously a majority of the Greek population did not feel that you were uh, successful. So I hear that and maybe we can discuss that. But on the other hand, I would ask people to, to remember that our vote did not collapse. We, we went from something like 36% of a uh, percentage vote to something like 31.5%. If you consider PASOK, um, the, 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 the government of the center left that essentially Syriza overtook, um, it, it went from 40% to about 5% before recovering to 6, 7, 8%. So we, we lost, we did lose a lot because we implemented a, a, a structural adjustment program, but the vote did not collapse because I think enough people, both from the middle class and from the working class and socially excluded people, understood that even under these very difficult circumstances, that the, the external and internal environment, we did manage to do some of the successes I've, I've in, in, indicated. So the, the million dollar question, what, what, what was it um, uh, all, all worth it? Um, I, I think I'll just repeat what I, I've just said, that I really do think um, if you're going to look at the, the, the 
the glass half full rather than half empty, that we managed to, to not only exit the program, get a debt deal, the, 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 the reason we rejected the first offer, which led to the referendum in July 2015, was that there was nothing on debt, whereas in the compromise there was something on debt, and we did achieve that at the end. If you had said that, plus all the social gains, I think it would have been worth it. So the decision to actually see if a left-wing government could, A, manage to in a more humane way, deal with a structural adjustment program and to leave a structural uh, uh, adjustment program and see, leave it with some social gain was very important. Um, and I think that I, I think that, that it was worth it for that. We've learned many, many, many um, lessons, which I think I'm sure you will ask me about what lessons we've learned. Um, and... In many ways, many of the things that Syriza brought to the table after 2012, which was seen outrageous by Germany and uh, many other states in 2015, are now being discussed seriously. Yes, this is uh, the, the fact that you need a fiscal uh, policy, the fact that you can't, that the state is important in a crisis. Uh, the fact that you should um, have monetary easing at a great extent. All these are new things. I'm not saying they've happened because of Syriza. That would be uh, absurd. But I think we were raising issues that uh, were very off the agenda in 2012, 2015, 16, which now are at the centre of what I would say progressive um, uh, politics. And I think there will be a huge argument over the next three or four years with respect to the recovery fund of the European level of how far this has been an important change or after the pandemic, slowly there will be um, a return to politics. But in the end, Kevin, and, and this and this is my, my, fi my, my final uh, remark, w was it worth it? Um, I, I referred to Mark's very famous statement that um, people make their history, but... Um, 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 they don't make it under the circumstances they choose. I think the same is for leftist parties. Um, you know, of course, I would have liked to be a finance minister with 5% growth, 5% unemployment, uh, a European Union that had been convinced that um, only the state can deal with pandemics and the importance of building he uh, primary health care. Only the state can intervene at a supranational level to to address asymmetries and, and divergence in the European economies and so on and so forth. But um, uh, life's not quite like that. And so all future left, leftist experiments, which I hope there will be many of them, uh, will face a great deal of problems, not ones that they would have chosen. But um, I hope that people can, can consider now that uh, the, the 2015-19 uh, is a little bit in the past in a much more objective, um, both failures and, and successes. Thank you very much to, to everybody for listening to me. Thank you, FP, very much indeed. Uh, if you want to stop sharing the screen, then we can uh, talk uh, directly. That, that, that's great. Um, I think there are plenty of questions coming in, but uh, as I said, let's uh, start a discussion and then we'll bring in as many of the questions as we uh, as we can. Um, many of the audience will be uh, not from uh, Greece, 
And so maybe approaching this from a wider international uh, perspective. I know, of course, that Syriza is a party with um, much internal debate, sophisticated currents of different thought and uh, different strains, uh, etc. I wonder, as a guide to the non Greeks in the audience, uh, if you could perhaps uh, position yourself in the spectrum of left-right politics within Syriza, uh, however you would describe that. Uh, I think you would say that you were to the left of Yanis Varoufakis on many economic issues, but, for example, not as left as, say, um, Lafazanis in terms of coming out of the Euro, uh, um, Euro uh, zone. So I wonder if you were to position yourself prior to 2015, how would you um, locate yourself in the many internal currents of cities uh, of politics? Well, I, firstly, we should tell people what Syriza means because it's an acronym, yes? And that oh. might, might, might actually help. So Syriza is the coalition of the radical left. It was an attempt um, after Maastricht to, to join, to, to have an open dialogue, which eventually led to Syriza, of leftists from a lot of currents, from Trotskyists, communists, Euro-communists, um, left-wing social democrats, uh, people from the environmental movement, who realised that um, division um, is not helping us. So we, we had this, this sort of slogan that uh, unity is more important than the right line, because um, without unity of the left, uh, it, no line matters very much. Uh, and just having the line and not having unity, you just can't implement it. So I think you've actually mentioned some of the key aspects of it. And definitely to the left of social democracy. Remember, Syriza starts in the period where um, social democrats uh, of the Blair, Simitis, Renzi um, have all but swallowed um, uh, the whole package of neoliberalism. Uh, uh, and it's in their period that huge inequalities actually start rising. Um, so it's definitely on the left of that. It's definitely influenced by the anti-global movement. But it's, or, or maybe I should put it better, the ultra-global movement because there was a huge discussion within Syriza, given all these currents, to be pro-Europe or anti-Europe, um, to be if for the Euro or anti-Europe. Um, um, and the, the position that won out was that um, there are too many issues in the European, at the European level that are supranational and therefore need supranational um, solutions that um, this is the sort of the, the more positive way of putting it. I'll just say a word about the negative later, that whether you take economics and dealing with multinationals or financial markets, whether you, you, you take the issue of the environment that was growing there, whether you take the issue of tax competition, and whether you take the issue of migration, a large number of issues um, we have felt that from the experience of the British left in the 70s, the PASOK left in Greece in the 80s, and the French left in the 1980s, that going it alone doesn't work. We also had another fear 
there, there's right. one argument. Let me just finish this, Kevin, my last statement. This. We also had another fear, which is the negative aspect. It is one question whether you should join the euro, but it's a different question if you're in the euro, whether you should leave. Because our fear was, and this is my last statement on this, that if you leave the euro and the euro deconstructs, it will be not under left-wing hegemony, but under very very nationalist politics. That was our fear, and it is still our fear. Okay. That the breakup of the euro, even though the euro has a lot of okay. problems, could, break, okay. could be under the right-wing politics. Okay. I think I was more interested in where you would position your, yourself, though, in, in that um, spectrum, uh, as it were. So prior to coming to power, are you on the left of Syriza? I, how would people describe you within the within city, uh, sir? And then the next question is, where would people describe you today? I think prior to the gov prior to the governmental experience, I think people would have positioned me on the left of the pro-European part of the party. So you can so it's not on one axis; it's pro-anti-Europe, and this is crude, of course, because obviously there were sophisticated positions in the middle uh, and left-right. So I think people would have positioned me on the left of the party, but for the pro-European stance. Um, I think now that uh, I feel that with a lot of leftists, um, uh, we are now, um, you know, I, I would consider myself closer to 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 Sanders and Warren than I would to, to for instance, Biden. But I, I, I think I'm part of that left now, and a lot of Caesar people are part of that left now, that do not really believe that centrist solutions actually work, that there is no hegemonic neoliberal strategy that incorporates enough of the working class and the middle class, as it did in the 90s, to be able to be successful. So we need radical policies, not just because I want to call myself a radical leftist, although I don't mind that, um, that, that title at all. It is because we actually believe that after the economic crisis of 2010 and the growth of uh, inequality before and after that, and now the pandemic, we genuinely believe that strategies of Macron, Renzi, uh, Blair just will not work, and, and that seems to me ob the, uh, on any close reading of the economics and politics of the last 20 years. Okay, good. Um, in 2016, in the New Left Review, Stathis Kouvalakis uh, wrote a critique of the first year of Citizen in, in government, and let me just read a few of his uh, comments by way of trying to uh, prompt your reaction to this. He wrote, after the first year of Syriza in power, quote, Syriza won power in January 2015 as an anti-austerity party, the most advanced political opposition so far to the hardening deflationary policies of the Brussels, Berlin, Frankfurt axis. Six months later, the Tsipras government forced through the harshest austerity package Greece had yet seen. This trajectory was predict a predictable outcome of the contradiction embodied in Citizens' program, reject austerity but keep in the euro. That's the danger, he concludes. 
that the remainder of the radical left faces in Europe now, sorry, that, that, that's the danger, that the remainder of the radical left uh, faces in Europe now, after Syriza's failed attempt, the danger of giving up on the very idea of a more radical change. Why is he wrong? Well, I think he, he, he's wrong factually in a number of statements. Um, I don't think any economist or social scientists will look at the three structural adjustment programs and say that the third one was the, the harshest. I mean, just the degree of fiscal adjustment in the first two, there's no uh, relationship, nor does how much uh, GDP fell, how much, how much taxes increased. I mean, I don't think that's an issue. So, so, so I, I leave that aside. I think that was um, rhetorical um, exuberance on, on the on the part of, of, of Kubilakis. But uh, the, the other I I issue uh, is on on that his bottom line is that there is no left wing politics within within Europe. Um, um, within, the Euros within, within the eurozone. Within the eurozone. Yes, yes, yes. The, the correction is well. Now, I think in the first structural adjustment program, there was a credible threat that the PASOK government then could, could have made that we will not accept a very severe structural adjustment program um, because what you are offering us is more to save northern banks than to save the Greek economy. And this was accepted by many members of the IMF uh, directorate when the, 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 the board when, in fact, it was put to the, to the board. Um, but five years later, when we've lost 25%, what Stafford Kovalakis does not understand was that if we had left the euro, which I wouldn't support anyway for the reason we said before, we would have had, a, after a four or five years of what we call internal devaluation, in other words, reduction of wages without a devaluation, we would have then have faced going to the Greek population and saying, yeah, can we have another 25% decrease in, in, in wages? Now, I just don't think that is a, a, is, a, is, a, is a strategy for the left. And my final point is that, just to reiterate the one we made before, that the collapse of the euro, I mean, you, you remember that um, the Mark said that, um, uh, no, it was Joan Robinson who said that the only thing worse are being exploited by capital and capitalism is not being exploited by capitalism because that means you're, you're unemployed. Yeah? I would say that the only thing for a left-wing government not being in, in the euro, of, of being in the euro, is not being in the euro because the, leaving the euro um, uh, in, in, in a situation that you've already lost 25% of your GDP would have made a huge turmoil. And I would remind you what I, I put on the, the, the slides about the rise of, of, of Golden Dawn. Um, this would have been a very serious thing. But I also think it would have been under the hegemony of right-wing politics. It would have been the return of nationalism. Thanks. That's, that's very helpful. If you were talking to a leftist in the UK or, or France uh, today, I wonder... When you look back at uh, 2015 and the uh, compromise that you were forced to, to make, would you feel that made you that makes it harder or easier for the left now to uh, advance an alternative economic strategy? Well, my view is 
is that if Syriza had chickened out and said we failed, we couldn't continue doing it, this is a right-wing policies, and it did have a lot of right-wing policies in, as, as, as I said, um, I think that, that the left in, in Greece would have um, reached um, 5-4%. So I don't think it had, I don't think there was a viable project of, of not uh, not going for government again in September 2015 and just um, a, a jumping ship. I, I think that would have left um, uh, very much uh, the, the situation. And, and, and although a lot of left-wing intellectuals did not accept the, that, that compromise, there were very many, your own Paul Mason, for instance, would be a characteristic example, the late, who's, who's also a, a great, a very good friend, uh, Leo Panich, um, was very supportive that, you know, the left is not just for good times. Yeah? Nobody will vote for the, for the left just because things are going hunky-dory. Yeah? So you have to take those challenge. So uh, you mentioned uh, being chicken, and I follow your uh, logic. But of course, uh, I guess critics would say that it was chicken to uh, make the uh, compromise and, and stay in. But I understand I you, tell you didn't feel like that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, I, but I guess uh, what you're uh, saying is that, um, as you have said, to, to stay in was to make the, the difficult uh, decisions. But um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I've lost the, the point I was going to, to, to make, but uh, oh, that's it, that's it. What I've heard you just say now is that it was the symbolism in part of the left being in power that uh, it would have been much more consequential if the left had been seen to, quote, fail. So better to stay in and make the necessary dirty compromises than to come out and be uh, clean but um, pure. Uh, and the, the, the lesson would have been that the left isn't for the difficult situations. Um, obviously, the final judgment of whether what I've just said is correct or partly correct depends on how you assess the, the end of the four years. How important was the 10% percentage point decrease in unemployment? How important was the child poverty reduced? How important was that we actually um, safeguarded future governments with creating a buffer? That having a, a 10, 15 years um, uh, Lee with a straight runway for debt. Obviously, people can do it, and some okay. people can say it wasn't worth it. So, obviously, my reply to the question can't be only the decision in 2015. I, I've told you why I took the decision, and Alexis Tsipras, of course, took the decision that it, we had to make it work. Um, but, of course, in the end, people have to assess. Um, uh, and Okay. I would ask for some leniency in the assessment, given the external factors, the, yes. the, 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 the troikas and the German that's, governments and so on. That's okay. The LSE is many things. We're not a court of law and <laughs> there'll be no verdict pronounced at the, at the end. But um, I wonder if we could just uh, focus briefly on the compromise and then we can move on to other matters. So the compromise that you've outlined in, in 2015. And your critics, of course, uh, would um, question 
what the logic of the compromise was in relation to what you expected to be the situation before coming to power. Let me put it in this way. I heard a journalist express it, I thought, rather powerfully. It's an LSE event. What was it that you learned in 2015 about the need to compromise that you didn't know before coming to power? I think um, there are a lot of issues, but let me just say one which I, I think is there. Our, we thought we had greater bargaining power um, because we, re- we, we, we believed that if they were trying to force a government out of the euro in an attempt to have no compromise between the wills of the 17 Euro, Eurozone economies and the will of the Greek people that had just been expressed in the politics, uh, in, the, in the election, if they were not compromised and were actually trying to, to force us out of the euro, that would have led to the destruction of the euro. Now, I actually believe that is correct. If one country leaves the euro, um, I think it is very difficult for the eurozone to be um, uh, feasible, to be sustainable. And the reason is that you, in economic terms, you change a set effectively a monetary union where there is a cast iron yeah. guarantee that no country will ever devalue into a fixed exchange rate system where financial market markets take the possibility of devaluation into their accounts. But what we learned was that it doesn't matter what is true. It matters what the op- opponent, the other side, believes to be true. And I think that you can distinguish here just a naming it and, and personalizing it, it is perhaps unfair, but for the, for the sake of shortness, I think Wolfgang Schäuble didn't believe it's true and actually wanted Greece to leave the euro because he, he, is, a, he is a federalist, but for fewer countries. So he wouldn't perhaps worried that if Greece left, then Portugal would have left and Italy. Uh, them. Mm. And I think by the summer of 2015, after the, the referendum, Merkel's economic team didn't believe that. They didn't believe Wolfgang Schultz. So Merkel and, and then, and uh, at that time, Hollande, who was more separate, said that if Greece leaves, this is going to be very serious. That's why we didn't have as much leverage as we hoped in January 2015. But we did have enough leverage after the referendum in July 2015 to get a better deal than that, what we put to the to the referendum that was rejected. So it's a mixed pe- a picture. Okay, that's, uh, that's very helpful. I guess uh, just one uh, brief follow-up on that. Your critics, of course, would say that um, what wasn't predictable in January uh, 2015 in the election campaign, you were saying they, meaning the Germans and the Eurozone leaders, will back down. Trust me, they will back down. Uh, well, of course, many of your critics were saying in 2014 and also in that election campaign, no, they won't. And they didn't. I hear you, but how do you, how do you create progressive politics? How do you challenge a system like the Eurozone was not working for the South? Don't forget, it's not only Greece that's in a structural adjustment program, but uh, Portugal and and Cyprus and Spain uh, and Ireland. If you have everything is given, the financial markets are given, 
the eurozone is given, the institutions are given, and nothing can change. Progressive politics has to actually challenge the frontiers of what is possible. Uh, and if you don't do that, you might as well become a Blair or a Renzi, um, uh, which, which uh, obviously uh, I, I don't want to do. And I don't think that you can actually challenge the huge income inequalities and wealth inequalities that are now being openly discussed without people trying to challenge the status quo. Because the logical conclusion of your argument, I know it's not your argument, you're just putting it to me, um, in that sense, your argument, is that you shouldn't challenge anything. The, you know, the powerful, yeah. the powerful financial markets are the financial markets. The, the, the Eurozone is Wolfgang Schäuble's court. Uh, and, and so why are you bothering to, to challenge anything? Well, we're, we're, we're bothering to challenge something because Greece has had lost 25% of GDP. It was facing a humanitarian crisis. The hospitals were, were in a state of uh, dis, uh, almost dissolvement. That's why we had to, 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 to create some kind of current to challenge. Now, obviously, you can't say beforehand which of your challenges will work and which won't. You, know? you, you don't know, but you have to attempt that. Okay. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not apologetic, apologetic about that. I suppose uh, a more systemic, more general question, uh, if I may, then, you mentioned about uh, Wolfgang Schäuble. If I remember correctly, one of his um, uh, famous comments in January 2015 was, quote, we don't change policies because of elections. And I wonder if we could build on this and make it a much more general question and not uh, not specific to 2015, but uh, more systemically and, and perhaps looking to the future. Uh, you served for many years as a Eurozone uh, finance minister. Um, how do you think we can square this conundrum uh, within the Eurozone uh, between democratic choice in one member state and uh, a shift of, of policies um, within the Eurozone um, leadership. Isn't this a, a system which is just uh, structured to create tensions like this, which are almost impossible to resolve? I think you're, the, 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 the question it, it, it is well taken and it opens a, a huge um, area of discussion. I, I, let me say, now in my own country, um, with new democracy uh, ruling, that we have a, a serious democratic deficit. Um, that neoliberal, it doesn't seem to me possible that in a country like Greece and many other countries, you can actually impose neoliberal policies that do not extend some of the benefits as in the past to, to sections of the working class and middle class without a turn to authoritarianism. Um, the, the, the issue here is both one of understanding populism and understanding a democratic response. Because I would say to Wolfgang Schäuble that that statement is bread and butter for Le Pen, for Salvini, for Wilders. I mean, if you want to know, so I, 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 if you want to understand populism and how the left needs to understand populism, criticize it, but understand it at the same time, you have to understand people's sense of disempowerment. It's not just that they're unequal. It's not just that they feel they're not making ends. I mean, it's not just the GDP per capita is not increasing. 
It is that they people do not feel that they have the political institutions or techniques of empowerment to, to challenge that. And that is, it, 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 it's a time bomb. And the, the issue of how you respond to that at the national and international level um, is, is very important. My own view about, so I don't seem to be avoiding your question, is that I cannot, because I fear the dissolution of Europe and the Eurozone more specifically, I cannot see a response that is not supranational in intention. In other words, Europe needs um, a public, a, a European public space. Um, and that is not close to coming at the moment. Um, we, but, it, but I cannot see Europe um, facing to its challenges because whatever, I mean, I'm quite... You know, I've been quite favourable with some of the changes in Europe lately about the recovery fund and so on. But even with that, the next 10 years, most economists, I think that this is correct, would predict that the economies of Europe will diverge further to North and South and not converge. That just is not sustainable, either with a, a single currency or with democratic politics. Okay, good. Final question from me, and then we're going to go to the questions from the um, audience. Um, you mentioned about the um, compromise affecting the social base uh, for cities. Uh, let's bring it right up to the present uh, now. Um, given the experience of cities in power, what do you think... Uh, is the relationship between the party and the protesters. You'd mentioned uh, the um, protesters in the squares, in the platea, the, uh, um, following other international uh, examples. Uh, I guess currently we're seeing in many uh, Greek universities protests um, which have some uh, specific uh, Greek issues at, at play. But I want to make a more general question as to whether uh, you feel that the uh, legacy of, uh, of citizens in power positions it to be a, ve a vehicle for those protesters in universities or on the streets, etc. It's difficult to say because um, we're not actually underdo uh, undergoing politics, doing politics in normal conditions. Yes, we've had a year of lockdown with only two or three months uh, in between. So the sort of oxygen of the left of going on the streets, going into neighbourhoods, going into workplaces, discussing with people has basically been cut off. Um, this government uh, that we have now, New Democracy, ha has a, a very strong um, authoritarian bent. Um, and it has, I think... Uh, made a mistake that is going to create social is creating social movements because what it has done is imposed a lockdown where everybody would have accepted parliamentary activity and action within the lockdown if it's to do with dealing with the pandemic or dealing with the economic consequences of the pandemic but it's not acceptable to not allow people on the streets, not to be able to, to challenge, because democracy, after all, is not having an election every four years. It's a vibrant process of resistance, trying to change the balance uh, of uh, forces. And what they have done is they have put, they have implemented very controversial 
legislation uh, on, on, on collective bargaining, removing um, workers' rights, on bringing police into, armed police into the universities, uh, of um, various other issues about uh, civil rights, the ability to, to, to demonstrate, while not, not allowing people to demonstrate. Now, this has brought a lot of, has been counterproductive. It's brought a lot of people onto the streets, people from Syriza, from the Communist Party, from Varoufakis Mera, 20, um, 25, uh, and so on. So it'll be very interesting to see whether what, what, what I thought was a problem, that we lost touch with our social base because of this compromise and people felt, well, what, what is Syriza doing? Whether we, we, can, re- we, we can recover that. Um, new democracy is being very helpful, though. Okay, um, I'm tempted, tempted to ask a follow-up question, but I won't because there are so many questions coming in. So this is where I attempt to give um, coherence to the uh, questions uh, coming in. Let me begin uh, with, um, I guess, a mutual uh, friend, Professor uh, Maria Petmizidou. I read the question directly. Syriza had the opportunity to face key challenges concerning the organizational structure and and function of the Greek public health system, particularly by developing public primary health care that could be a bulwark against COVID-19 and massively slow the spread of the coronavirus. Why was Citizens' performance so dismal in this respect? Well, uh, with due respect to, 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 the, to the good professor, I, I think um, it wasn't dismal. In fact, I would say that that was one of our success stories. So roughly speaking, before the first structural adjustment program, expenditure, public expenditure on health is about 6%. Uh, that was reduced to under 5%, 4.85, in the first two structural adjustments programs. And we brought it, even though we were in the structural adjustment program, we brought it to 5.3%. We did employ a lot more doctors, and this is generally accepted from left and right. And in fact, to be fair to the institutions, even though they were mostly on the neoliberal side, our attempt to bring primary health care was accepted and was passed. We actually instituted law and set up the first primary health care clinics that the government, this government, the new democracy, from uh, their election completely ignored. What was absent? So I I, I honestly think of all the things you can criticise, Syriza, that is not. And I think that there's quite a wide acceptance of the state of the health system in January 2015 um, and where it was um, uh, in, in January, in July 2019. I Just one final point. We actually included over one million people within the national health system who were previously uninsured, who were completely outside. So if you think that okay. we employed more doctors, we started the primary health care system. We, we um, in, insured the uninsured within a structural adjustment program, that I think would be a, uh, on the plus side. Okay. I'm going to put two questions together here. There's a question from uh, Costas Zervas from Liverpool John Moores University. Um, Clearly, he says, do you regret coalescing with the populist right? And did this affect your progressive agenda? Uh, Dimitris Papadimitriou 
uh, asks more specifically, what would have been lost or what was what would have been lost had Syriza joined forces with Potami rather than Enel in 2015? Let me simply explain. Uh, that is, what would have been lost if Syriza had not formed a coalition government with a nationalist populist uh, right-wing party, but instead coalesced with a, a new centrist party, Potami, in 2015. Okay, okay. so the, the questions are right. In January 2015, you need a majority in Greece, 151 uh, members of uh, parliament, and we had 147 or 8, uh, so very close, but not, not close enough. And we did ally um, with the populist right-wing government, a uh, populist uh, uh, right-wing party, um, who were very against the structural adjustment programs and very against the austerity. Now, in actual fact, that alliance did not create a large number of problems in the economic and social field. And it didn't, this surprised me because I was a skeptic, it didn't create that number of problems even on the democratic agenda, on, on, on gay rights and immigrants, which you might have expected. In fact, they sort of, um, they sort of passed on those issues and, and, and let uh, the, the majority party have its uh, say on progressive um, and politics like on, on gay rights and, 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 and prison reform and uh, the, the uh, citizenship to second generation immigrants. So, so now, so that so, is our, sorry. So they were, they, they were good coalition partners because they were um, supplicants, but wouldn't Potami have supported right, those? Yes, I'm coming to that. So, so, but, the, 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 but of course, the, the, the whole alliance collapsed um, over the issue of presbyce. On, on the whole issue of our northern neighbour, where they considered this was a, a sellout of the Ma Macedonian name. I don't think we have time to get into that issue. So that, so that was where the problem was uh, with, 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 the, um, with this right-wing uh, populist party. Now, it, it's, it, it sounds logical that we should have gone with a centrist party, but it is part of Greek politics that the after the, uh, the Simitis government of PASOK and after the two structural adjustment programs, after 2010, the centre was very radicalised towards the, the right. Um, it, there's a Greek expression now, which, which is uh, the extreme centre. That's what the, the, the term we refer to a number of people. And they were very, very hostile to, to, to Syriza. So on the economic front, they were far closer to the previous government on, the, on, the, on what I would say the economic social agenda was, that they really um, had uh, chewed off the, no, that's not, the, I was trying to translate a Greek expression. They, they really had um, taken over a lot of the neoliberal agenda on, 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 the, on the economy. And they weren't that um, friendly to some of the, even the, the democratic rights, um, the rights issues that we wanted to raise. I honestly don't think they actually wanted it. I think even the democratic centre were convinced that there would be a left-wing interval. That's why they were so hostile to Syriza. In okay. other words, the Samaras programme, let's put a, a set of minds, a minefield. Syriza will come into power in January. 
they'll fall in March. And then in the, the Watsimitis, who, who have a lot more respect than I, uh, the ex-Prime Minister, than I do, Kevin, said the government will return to its rightful owners, which suggests um, some kind of politics there, which is not very progressive. Okay, thanks. There's a question from Jorgos uh, Balagos in Bremen, in Germany. Um, you insist on using the term left, considering that Syriza implemented the continuation of the neoliberal policy of the previous governments. Why do you insist on using the term left and not adopt another title? Do you not agree that this fact offers an invaluable argument to anti-leftist propaganda? No, because I think that you have to draw a distinction, not only about the nature of the third uh, structural adjustment program, but what we try to do. Um, The new democracy in PASOK in the previous structural adjustment program did not reduce social inequality. They did not reduce child poverty. They did not reduce uh, inequality. Uh, the current Minister of uh, Development in Greece, uh, Adonis Georgiadis, who was then a minister in the second adjustment program, structural adjustment program, w- would go on television and say when we were, they were sacking doctors and, and university guards, that I'm proud that I'm doing it. I don't want Paul Thompson, who's from the IMF, by the way, um, taking all the honour. This is what I believe in. So we never had what the institutions and the Eurozone always demanded of us. They demanded that we should take ownership of the programme. We never did that. We always said it was in position and in position from the outside. We would do our best, given the compromise, to change its direction. And in certain areas, we succeeded. In certain areas, we didn't succeed. But to say that it's exactly the continuation of the first two structural adjustment programs, I think is just not correct. Thanks. There are many uh, questions. Let me um, pick this uh, question here. Uh, We're going to a European um, dimension. Uh, Yorgos Carax, LSE alumnus. I'm sorry, this is from Charlie Mansell uh, in the United States. Syriza is currently polling 25 to 28% and is 15% behind in the polls, whilst Podemos, though in government, has seen its uh, vote share drop too. And the Dutch elections also uh, saw a drop in all the left parties' votes. And this is going to be difficult to pronounce. Should Podemosization, Syrizization, join? Pasokification as a term we should also use for current left vote share decline. Look, the, the figures, uh, the question are, are roughly right. We are lagging in, in the polls. Um, there is definitely, after the pandemic, a conservative uh, turn in politics. And it always happens when fear is dominant. Um, so, so I think there is a problem of, a, uh, of, of, of right-wing politics dominating in certain aspects and, and, and trying to um, elicit um, more authoritarian, more conservative responses among the, 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 the population. But 
I don't think that the left um, can recover the hegemony by just saying that it never will form a government, that it's not interested in power. Um, I, I think you have to find a beau milieu between seeking government and seeing how you can align with social forces that can exploit another current, which is at the same time a result of the pandemic. Because I think a lot of people in this pandemic are re-examining a number of things that they thought important, the importance of the national health system the importance of health with respect to, to, to other, you know, having the new mobile. They're, they're readdressing the issue of the state and the state involvement. All those lectures I used to have as a finance minister that the state can't sort this out and the state can't sort that out, that is changing. So at the same time that there is a conservative shift in, due to fear and, that, uh, and the exploitation of right-wing and not so right-wing governments of fears about the stranger, the immigrant, um, that somebody, the, the young people or so on. There is another shift going on, which is saying that what we were told in 20, 30 years of neoliberalism is not right. It isn't true that everything private is good in the health system, for instance, and everything that public is bad. It isn't true that the government can't intervene in times of recession. So it's up to us leftists and left-wing parties to be able to enhance the second tendency and minimise the first. Thank you. So there's a question from Emmanuel Kolekakis, um, um, which is very much in terms of uh, your strategy in 2015. The February-June confrontation led to a bank run. Had you applied a wedge, say 10% in outflow of funds from the Greek banks, and introduced a deposits, uh, fiduciary deposit accounts for Greek bank depositors, businesses, as we had applied in Cyprus after the bail-in, you would have definitely avoided the bank run and the sentiments of a bail-in. That would have bought you time for a more efficient negotiation with a better outcome. Can you explain why you didn't? Um, it is definitely the case that the Syriza government looked at various, some of the issues that the questioner asked, but other issues about extending the, the, the time and giving us more, more time. But the bottom line is that um, the Schäuble and the Eurozone was quite committed to us leaving the Eurozone. So the time was not on our side. Um, there were a, a lot of, of, of pressures after May, June, and we were hampered by the fact that we, in January, we started with empty coffers, and it was amazing how well informed both governments and the institutions were about how empty the coffers were. They had online, real-time information on that. And okay. I honestly don't believe that there was any one strategy that have, could have extended the time for negotiations uh, more than, the, 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 than was available. Okay. There's a question here which is uh, really about, uh, as it says, the Varoufakis strategy. Looking at GDP development from 2009 onwards, we can see it going up and turning, tending to turn positive 
but from 2015 onwards, it turns negative again for some years. Varoufakis's and Syriza's gamble to, quote, blackmail the EU with declaring bankruptcy led to that. Was it worth it? Or with sacrificing some of the ideology to achieve the least work, worst outcome being a better choice? Well, the bottom line is, in the first two structural adjustment programs, GDP fell by 25%. So from 10 to 15. From 15 to 19, overall, there is a growth, anemic growth. Now, that all assumes that if the elections had been won by the right wing, they would have continued this their growth to increase. And I would ask the questioner, why didn't they finish the fifth review of the program in the summer of 2015? If things were so well, even with 27% unemployment, even with uh, banks having a lot of uh, non-repayable loans and, and so on, why did the Samaras government close the fifth review, get uh, extend the program, get get out of the program, perhaps with a uh, a credit line. Why didn't it do it? It was because they had reached the end of their possible uh, response to the economy. They had reached an, an end to their ability to be able to manage. And the summer of 2014, they jumped ship, essentially, not closing the fifth review. Okay. A question from Paul Kidner. It is surely true that the EU and the IMF were initially antagonistic, but was this also because they saw a populist government that had pushed for radical change after agreements had already been made, whilst promising to rip up those same memorandums? Would you agree that Syriza finally managed to agree a memorandum of understanding when it matured and started to work with the EU? rather than against it? And if so, would you accept that in the meantime, unfortunately, real and lasting damage to society and the economy was made despite the debt deal? Uh, uh, sorry, um, if so, would you accept that in the meantime, unfortunately, real and lasting damage to society and the economy uh, was made? I'm not sure that the purpose of the question... I of course I accept, but the, both the IMF in particular, but other institutions, wanted to, to, to prevent as much as possible a radical alternative to the status quo in Europe and in Greece. That, 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 that's, that's given. Of course they, that, that's what they wanted to do. The issue is whether a left-wing government with a popular vote has the right in Europe, as we understand it, to challenge that. That's an important democratic question, let alone uh, a social political economy question. Now, if we have uh, that right, then obviously we will have a strategy which will have, as I've tried as honestly as I can in my presentation, successes and failures. But I do not accept that the that we were school children, which is, that is the the, the focus of the, the of that the, the the good Europeans and the IMF had to educate us in the ways of Europe, because there are clearly and now accepted even more by many people, there were very clear problems with the way Europe was doing uh, business uh, at that time. And I have to say that, the, and if we had more time, maybe you should in, in, in invite me to give a talk on the IMF and the structural adjustment programs, Kevin, because I have a lot to say about that. The IMF, right to the end, 
was trying to get its full neoliberal agenda, cutting further than we already had 13 at least reductions in pensions in the first structural adjustment uh, program. And Paul Thompson was still committed to greater um, uh, reductions uh, in, in pensions and was actually pressurizing Greece and not accepting the figures that were accepted by Greece and by the European institutions about our performance in fiscal policy in order to impose his agenda. And his agenda, I have to tell you, had nothing to do with Christine Lagarde's statement about social inclusion, about the importance of women, importance of reduction in poverty. The IMF people on the ground were as neoliberal as the best neoliberal could possibly wish for. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of questions which we'll combine, uh, which is about today and uh, universities. Uh, there's a question from uh, Michael Haliasos from the Goethe University in Frankfurt. Thanks for the presentation. How would you assess the effects that Syriza had on the functioning of Greek public universities? And then I think there's another question. Yes. Uh, if policing schools is wrong, then what is your answer to the massive lawlessness, lawlessness that exists in Greek universities? Also, if extreme policing can suppress freedom of speech, which it does, and this should be regulated, would you argue that the current conditions allow for freedom of speech? Uh, so there's lots of questions there, but first, first perhaps you could simply say, uh, what did Syriza do uh, for public universities in Greece? And today, what aspects of the protests in Greek public universities would you not agree with? This is against the background, of course, that we've seen uh, these last few months. Um, protests which have, uh, you know, humiliated the uh, rector of the your former university, the Athens University of Economics and Business. Uh, long term, we've seen um, much vandalism and criminality on on uh, Greek university campuses. So something's got to be done. Uh, what should be done, to, which would be effective and acceptable? Well, the first thing that shouldn't have been done in the second structural adjustment program is actually fire um, guards, not police, but guards who were actually doing a job of safeguarding the, the universities. So let's put that in, in, the, in the context of the second adjustment program. But you Sorry, but, actually, you wouldn't say that before, uh, whenever 2012, you wouldn't say that um, the order in, in Greek public universities was hunky dory. Well, no, I, 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 I definitely challenge both the premise of your uh, question and the premise of the, the question. The, the idea that, that the Greek universities are uh, uh, rife with violence, uh, illegality is just not true. It just isn't true. There are problems in certain universities, but uh, most Greek universities do not have uh, such a problem. Um, and of course, most people who oppose, um, uh, who, who, who come from the standpoint I'm hearing these questions, actually do not are not just interested in uh, reducing important pockets of violence. I accept. And, and disorder, but they actually want to change the nature of Greek universities, where there have been important occupations about very important 
issues about how the, how much money is is, is uh, given to universities, how many prof what is the ratio between teachers and and, and students uh, about the, the 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 nature of courses. So I think it's very important that a lot of people who have this agenda, the Greek universities are full of, of, of violence and strife and so on, have an agenda which is, frankly, to, to, um, to, to challenge very important liberties that have historically been important. And I remind you, every country has its own rights and its own history of that. In Greece, it was the students of the National Technical University and the law school that brought down the junta. That uh, that history is symbolically very important in Greece, and it's very important also to very many European students and university professors that I've spoken to. We have that current of radicalism, and I, I honestly believe that although there are problems that can be addressed um, about enlightened minorities who think they can impose their will on others, and some, so in this area we would agree, Kevin, but there is an, also another current which is very important about uh, resistance. And I just do not believe that the response of this government to have armed police, we already have the biggest um, uh, percentage of policemen together with Cyprus in the whole of Europe. The government is now imposing another, is uh, proposing to employ another thousand armed policemen within the universities. If you think that is going to sort out the problem of Greek universities, I really think that we, 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 we are very far apart from this. I think Syriza did a lot for, for university education. It did uh, things to do about courses for for, uh, for, for students from poorer areas. It, it tried to deduce two-year courses for intermediate between university and technical training. It tried to conglomerate some universities with uh, technical colleges. Um, it, perhaps it didn't do enough, but and I don't think it did an, uh, as much as in health. That's why I, I, I disagreed with Professor Beth Menzido's question at the start. But definitely, I think it, 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 it did have a, a policy for education, which is worth examining. Okay. I'm going to squeeze in two more questions. So if I could just ask you to be brief on these two, uh, please. So a uh, question from Rodolphus Maslias from UCL. Um, should Syriza have done more to address clientelism in public administration and Greek society? And how an important a priority uh, for Syriza in the future is that? Um, in this area, I think we, we, we really did try to have a break with previous governments. So we had both the reform of the public administration. We had in many ministries important um, reforms to protect the for instance, the way investment grants are given or public procurements in health are given to make them online to, together um, um, with, with a transparent way. Even in the social area, who gets what benefit was completely transparent with platforms. All these were very important um, interventions in changing um, uh, the, 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 the clientelistic politics. I have to say, one of the most disappointing things about the new government, new democracy, is how we've had a straight rerun as if nothing has happened. 
clientelistic politics, I have to say, are alive and well in the Greece of Kostadinos, uh, of Kyriakos uh, Mitsotakis, to the extent that the party boss of Preveza, which is my hometown, is now the head of the uh, hospital in Arta, the neighbouring region, and the party boss of Arta is head of the hospital in Preveza. I mean, we really have, this has been the most disappointing, even for somebody like me who's anti-neoliberal and has few uh, expectations of this government, the fact that it has been so cavalier in clientelistic politics is actually shocking. Okay, um, last question, and we can give you a full two minutes to answer this, uh, Akhlidi. Um, some on the left uh, in Greece, argue about what we would call a big tent politics. That is that citizens should open up to the uh, centre-left, and that is a strategy uh, going uh, forward. It's a strategy which has been associated with Alexis Tsipras in recent times uh, as well. Um, what would your position be at the moment in terms of... Uh, uh, Syriza and its uh, more moderate uh, left-wing um, parties uh, in terms of um, trying to achieve its objectives in the coming period. And if there was an election for the party leadership of Syriza this year, are you going to be a candidate? Uh, okay, let me uh, answer that in the, in the end. My view on alliances is as follows. I think the the present government is failing in so many ways in the health system, in the economy, in clientelistic, the return of clientelistic politics, that I genuinely believe that Syriza should be open to alliances with other leftists and centrist parties to, to, to challenge the both the neoliberal direction and the clientelistic politics of this government. Number one. Number two. I also firmly believe that the Syriza as party should appeal to all sorts of people on its left, on its right, so sort of both to centrist voters geographically, politically geography, I mean, and to its left. But that is not the same as proposing centrist policies. What I said at the beginning, I firmly believe. The kind of politics, if centrist politics is the kind of politics of Blair and Renzi Simidis, that is not a basis um, for creating uh, a new hegemonic political project. It doesn't address inequality. It doesn't in address um, the, 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 the environment. It doesn't address many of the issues that people should be concerned about. So um, big, big so, Ten politics, there's no difference between yourself and Alexis Tsipras in terms of the strategy going forward? No, I don't think so. I think we, we both, I think the term that we've used is radical realism. You need radical policies that which, which compromise, consist of a break, both with the structural adjustment programs and with the, pre, the pre-crisis years neoliberalism, but at the same time take into account some of the external internal constraints and that's why I call it radical um, uh, realism. And I think okay. the radical are there any, now, Are there any circumstances in which you could uh, envisage yourself putting forward as leader of the Citizen Party? I, I think I think you 
firstly making a mistake of the age gap between myself and, and Alexis. So Alexis is a much younger politician than I am. I still think he's got a quite a big future ahead. I don't think anybody should be holding their breath on him retiring from politics uh, any any time soon. And I also think that by the time he thinks he's finished the cycle, his, his cycle, I think that um, the series have a lot of younger people uh, coming through the ranks who will, who will replace him in, in that eventuality. Okay. I think We're coming clear. to an end. Let me simply uh, say that uh, you're both uh, much younger than me anyway. Um, but let me, uh, first of all, uh, remind everyone that the um, recording of this uh, discussion is available, will be available as a podcast on the website of the Hellenic Observatory at the LSE. It will also be available uh, for the YouTube uh, channel of the Hellenic Observatory. Can I mention that our next Hellenic Observatory event is part of a series uh, which would normally take place in Athens, and that is uh, uh, by a professor of economics uh, here at the LSE, Oriana Bandera, who is the Sir Anthony Atkinson Chair in Economics at the LSE. And the title of her talk is Inequality, the Misallocation of Talent and Economic Development. And that will take place online, of course, on the 15th of April, UK time, 4 o'clock, Greek time, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, and that is a series of, of lectures uh, which the Hellenic Observatory has. Uh, for Oriana Bandera's uh, lecture, we will have two discussants. Aristides Hatsis, Professor of Philosophy, at the University of Athens, and Daphne Nikolitsas uh, of the Department of Economics at the University of uh, Crete. So let me uh, first of all thank uh, my colleagues in the Hellenic Observatory for their support and the LSE events team, very professional as always. But to finish, let me give a very warm thanks uh, to our speaker, Efklidis Zakolotis, uh, for coming and joining us and uh, speaking uh, so clearly and so uh, informatively on the experience of the left in power in Greece and for answering so many diverse uh, questions. You can see on the screen that if you want more information about the program public activities of the Hellenic Observatory, please visit our website. But again, thank you, Efklidi, and thank you to everyone watching, and we look forward to more discussions in the future. Thank you. Bye.